Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the associate editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, it's been a busy couple weeks, the virtual winter meetings, a lot of stuff going on. How's life been treating you? Life's going great. Well, we're still on, under quarantine, mostly working out of the house, you know, that's right. what it is. But, you know, and I have to say, despite the fact that there's a lot going on, there's still, in a way, not enough going on because most right. people think the hot stove is still kind of cold. We'll get into that. Um, but uh, but it's good. That it's keeping us a little bit busy anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I, I'd go as far as to say things are going about as well as they could be <laughs> these yeah, days. right. Um, we, we aren't seeing the complete, uh, at least in the baseball world, we're not seeing the complete shutdown and the complete collapse of the offseason that a lot of people were afraid of. It's still going slow, but maybe not too much slower than the last few offseasons, which people had already complained were too slow. Yeah. Um, but it, it looks like we're at least getting some activity. We saw some, some smaller moves, some medium moves, some big moves, and we have a lot to talk about today. All right, let's get right into it then. We have a whole handful of trades, a handful of signings, a couple of other interesting topics, some rumors about Nolan Arenado, uh, lots to talk about today. So we're going to start out just kind of going through uh, the trades of the last couple weeks that we missed since the last episode, um, mostly chronological order here. Let's start off with the Reds and the Angels. So uh, a couple weeks ago, the Reds sent right-handed reliever Rysel Iglesias to the Angels for righty Noe Ramirez, um, and also a player to be named later, which uh, turned out to be second base prospect Leo Rivas. And um, just to kick things in, to make things even, um, the Reds also sent zero point, uh, do I have that correct? They sent zero point, yeah, 0. 0.9 million yeah. in uh, in cash to cover a small portion of Iglesias' contract. Um, so a lot of people were calling this a win for the Angels right out the get. Um, Iglesias has name value. <laughs> he's the proven closer type. You know, he's a solid mm-hmm. reliever. Yeah. Um, but he was getting expensive, and that mm-hmm. really uh, took down his value. We had him at negative 0.8 million, and so with the cash that the Reds sent, that just barely put him um, above zero. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, they get a pretty serviceable, uh, not not spectacular, but a serviceable, cheap middle reliever in Noe Ramirez, who we had at 0.7. And then an interesting little utility prospect in Revis, who we had at 1.1. Uh, so what do you think here? So, you know, we talked last episode about uh, the new GM, Perry Manassian, blowing up the old bullpen. Now he's clearly remaking a new bullpen. And part of that is saying, okay, where, how, who can I get that's a quality arm? Because, you know, he had some middling arms, and it was just sort of a, <clears throat> excuse me, the bullpen last year and the year before even was just sort of stitched together. Right. Now he's kind of saying, okay, let's make it real. You know, let's get a real good one here. So, and that's what he did. He overpaid just a little bit, but I mean, by one or two, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, and an, another point I would make is that, um, you know, a lot of people look at our values and sometimes think, hey, how come he's negative? Well, he's not negative because he's a bad player. He's negative because he's a good right. player. He's getting paid too much. And so they they could work through that a bit, as you mentioned. So I, I think it's a good, it's a good sort of, I will say, so far, so good for Manassian. He's first of all, he's lo- loading up on Iglesias's or Iglesias. <laughs> Iglesias, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but he's making really smart moves to kind of improve quality, but 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 also not over you know overpaying in salary terms for anything. Even though he's acquiring a guy who's getting paid eight or nine million, you know, yeah. It's 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 he's still got some money to work with, so he's being strategic about it. 
Yeah, this doesn't necessarily mean the Angels can't go out and get a Liam Hendricks or trade for a Josh Hader, a couple of the more expensive guys, either in terms of prospects, in terms of salary, in both cases, I would say. Um, we, we talked uh, last episode about how expensive Hader could get down the line. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that they won't do that, but Iglesias, he's a step behind those two, maybe not a huge step, and he's within their budget range, didn't cost much in, pro- much in prospects. It's a smart move to pick him off of a team like the Reds that's really struggling in the uh, budget department. Um, the Angels, we also saw them uh, pick up Alex Claudio on a free agent deal. They're really just reworking that whole bullpen. We talked about it last episode, how they non-tendered essentially their entire bullpen. Uh, they cut Hansel Robles, they cut yeah. Keenan Middleton, uh, Justin Anderson, I believe. Yeah. So they got a lot of work to do there still, uh, but Iglesias is a strong start. Yeah, can I just jump in on Claudio too? Yes. I, I think Claudio is, is another one of these guys that doesn't get any respect. I mean, he's loading up on guys who don't get respect. I made that point about Jose Iglesias, but, you know, it's because Claudio's a soft tosser. He, he works, he's an 83 mile an hour fastball and a 72 mile an hour slider. I mean, this is, this is a, this is a softball pitcher, right? But, yeah. um, but he gets out. He's really good and he's really durable and, you know, and he's good against lefties and people thought, oh, because the three batter minimum rule, he's going to be hit hard by righties. That wasn't really the case this past season. So yeah, they're getting a good value there. Yeah, he's he's funky. Back when he was with Texas, it's like, God, he's the last guy you want to see coming out of the bullpen when you got your middle of the order left-handed sluggers up. Um, and and like you said, a lot of people were worried about him with a three batter minimum. But these last two off seasons now, I believe he re-signed with the Brewers on a pretty cheap contract as well last season. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like the three batter minimum rule has tanked his contract value. But he's remained a very valuable player on the field. It, it seems like there's a bit of a market inefficiency there. Of there is. Kind of exactly. uh, anticipating that this guy who was traditionally a loogie would struggle now, and maybe he won't. So, yeah, I like that for them a lot. He's underrated and very cheap. I believe he signed for just over a million. It, it does make me wonder, though, and I'm making a mental note to kind of check our model to see, is, like, is there a market inefficiency are we you know for soft tossers like him like that's maybe why yeah. he's not getting more money is because he throws 73 miles yeah. an hour you know like that's why no one wants him but he's even though he's effective i mean um maybe there's something there we need to look into in our model i don't know because but then there's then again there's a whole bunch of guys who throw in mid to high 90s and get hit hard and have zero production and mm-hmm. those guys are becoming a dime a dozen too so like it's not it's not a direct correlation that the right. harder you throw the more valuable you are not at all you need results right <clears throat> it's it's apples to oranges but then you got zach Greinke. <laughs> yeah he, he's not throwing hard anymore at all right and he's still getting outs and I, and teams are st- clearly still value that i mean you can just look at a couple yeah. years ago the package that the astros gave up to get him so yeah uh, as i mentioned i'm not trying to say that alex claudio is zach Greinke in any way um but that is something there to keep an eye on there all right, um, one of the bigger trades we've seen so far this offseason, a guy that a lot of people thought would get traded at the deadline but did not, and there's an interesting note there we can get to. Uh, but Lance Lynn finally gets dealt, goes from the Rangers to the White Sox. We had him at $15.1 million in trade value. In exchange, the Rangers get back Dane Dunning, right-handed pitcher, young, top, former top prospect. Uh, we had at $12.7 million. And then Avery Weems, who we did not have in our system initially, um, after adding him, he's at 1.6 million, so this trade balance is out quite well. He's an interesting younger, uh, younger arm, recent draft pick, and so it seems like 
Again, this seems like a very fair deal for both sides. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I, well, you're probably going to touch on the article that was posted um, yes. sort of shortly thereafter. I won't let you get into that. But from a value standpoint, I think it was dead even. I think the White Sox, you know, Lance Lynn's a one-year rental, right? And they're an up-and-coming team, so they wanted to fortify their, their rotation. I think that's a smart move. Dunning is... A middle probably a middle rotation guy i mean he, he had a good start but he's not he wasn't like a super duper high prospect but he's sort of a little bit of an overachiever and maybe i'm wrong maybe he turns into like a zach gallon who had a sort of similar background and yeah just sort of worked himself up to an ace but i don't know most of the time those guys are what they are most of the time he's like okay i'm a <laughs> at best i'm a middle middle rotation guy but i mean you've got him for six years so texas you know leverages one a one-year rental for a six-year hopefully solid rotation arm so i think mm -hmm. it's a win-win and in recent years texas has excelled with those types of guys yeah you see that lance lynn himself he came in there no one thought he was anything more than a mid-rotation guy and they i don't know how much of that is on the rangers helping develop him i don't know how much of that is on lynn himself um but you look at him you look at mike minor same situation and both of them blossomed into very talented frontline type arms yeah um I will note that they haven't had that success with everyone. There's Kyle Gibson, who's right. looking like a mess. Uh, Jordan Lyles. <laughs> You're going to miss sometimes. No, but... but you should give them credit for the wins, too. Right, Definitely, right. They, they, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but there's something there that they're, that they're doing right, clearly. Right. And the Rangers, have, we're going to get some, some more moves that they've made, but they've been probably the offseason's most active team. And that's comforting to see from them. It, it seems like the last three or four years they've just been treading water and it's it hasn't been pretty the results haven't improved the team hasn't improved their future hasn't really improved they've been kind of middle of the pack on the field in mlb middle of the pack in the farm system not much of a direction it seems like now they're finally committing to a direction saying hey exactly. we don't have enough talent here we don't have enough talent in the farm we need to make some changes you know if you remember back to 2019 they were sort of better than people thought they were they were sort of a 500-ish team in the mix yeah. for a while until they fell apart at the end so may, that may have teased them a little bit to think they were better than they were and they weren't quite ready for a rebuild but this past year they're clearly like okay no we're rebuilding and let's let's to your point let's let's commit to this direction and go there and i applaud them for doing that yeah you see reports that they're asking elvis andrews to be a utility man they're gonna see if isaiah kiner falefa can handle shortstop um You've already seen them move on from Lance Lynn. A couple other moves, like I mentioned, that we're going to get to. They're moving in the right direction, finally. And if you're a Texas yeah. fan, it's good to see. I think the the ballpark was also a consideration right. there in 2020. They weren't they didn't want to rebuild and have a last place finish, a, a bad team going into the new ballpark. Right. Instead, they had I think a fourth place team <laughs> heading into the new ballpark. Um, but uh, Again, it's it's nice to see them go in the right direction. Um, as we mentioned with that article, I believe it was Ken Rosenthal uh, who reported shortly after the Lance Lynn to the White Sox trade. He explained why Lynn wasn't traded at the trade deadline. There's obviously tons of speculation, tons of interest from teams like the Padres. I, I believe the White Sox were in then as well. Um, the Yankees maybe. Tons of teams. Everyone wanted him. He was the best arm on the market, and he stayed put. And that was because... Reportedly, Lynn told the Rangers that if they traded him somewhere he did not want to go, he would opt out of the rest of the season. So he essentially created leverage for himself that obviously we didn't know about, that analysts didn't know about, media didn't know about. 
and so really made it near impossible for the Rangers to trade him. Yeah, that to me, and kudos to Ken Rosenthal for pointing that out, that, that was a really important point that I thought did not get reported on at the time at all. And when I have to admit, I wasn't even thinking about that. But in retrospect, it was like, duh, it's like baseball. Yeah. Like, why didn't we think about that? Because, yeah. you know, anybody could have opted out, right? And so if they didn't like where they were going, that makes a lot of sense. It was effectively a, a no trade clause. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. Like, if you don't want to, if I don't want to go there, I'm just not going to go there. So it's true. It, it totally hurt the Rangers leverage. So um, fascinating. It's um, hard to tell exactly how it went down. I don't know if he said, okay, I don't want to go here, I'll go here. And then it just limited the Rangers to only talking to a couple teams and they didn't find a deal they liked. I don't know if it leaked out to other teams that he was acting this way, and so other teams were lowballing the Rangers. There's there's a lot we still don't know. Exactly. It's probably a combination of both. It was probably a combination of lowballing and maybe the, you know, those of you who spend some time on our site and are working through like different trade proposals, you'll find that certain teams just don't have the right mix, right? Maybe they, even if the values match up, it's like, well, we don't need another one of those guys. We already have too many. So like oftentimes that's what just kills trades. Like, no, it's just not the right package. So, you know, that happens a lot. So it could be any number of those things. Yeah. And you see uh, this deal that did happen, which we, we both agree is a very strong fit on both ends. Um, the Rangers really need all the talent they can get. Um, you see there's the traditional centerpiece type of Dunning, who's this MLB-ready arm with mid-rotation talent, it looks like, maybe a little bit more, who knows. Um, and then a bit of a lottery ticket, maybe maybe a little bit better than your traditional lottery ticket, but it's, it's that kind of traditional deal of one for one plus a sweetener. Yeah. And maybe at the deadline, there's more teams that have a couple of these mid-range prospects that they're more willing to part with rather than a Dane Dunning type. And maybe the Rangers just said, we need, we want talent. We want, this is our best trade chip. We want one truly talented piece, not a couple of potential bench guys down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, good for them for making the right deal. It worked out for them in the end, I think. I mean, I think Lynn had a little bit more value back in July, but, or August, but, uh, not that much more, so it mm-hmm. all worked out in the end. I will say one more point about Texas, which is, you know, they had a pretty weak farm. They didn't have any huge superstar names on their farm. It wasn't, to, you know, it was kind of middle-ish to low end in terms of values, which put it in the sort of low 20s if you're ranking them. So bad major league team, bad farm. Clearly they had to, like, start stocking up on, on prospects, which is what they're doing now, so good for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and that's a great transition into this next trade we have here. Again, the Rangers, and I think this one. I, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. I think it's a good trade though. <laughs> but we'll we'll let's get right to it. The Rangers picked up uh, first baseman Nate Low. I believe he's Low and not Lau, correct? I yes, get those it's, confused it's, all the time. It's Brandon it's Lau. Yeah. Brandon Lau, Nate Low, Josh and Low, Josh Low. Yes. Two of them whom were brothers. The Lowe's are the brothers. Yes, the yes, Lowers. you're right. <laughs> right. Uh, thanks, Rays, for clearing that mix up a little bit. <laughs> okay, so let's let's start this over. The Rangers picked up Nate Lowe, first baseman. Uh, we have him at 17.7 million. Uh, lower level first baseman prospect uh, Jake Gunther, 0.2 million, and a player to be named later from the Rays in exchange for three very young prospects. We got catcher slash outfielder Heriberto Hernandez at 11 mil. Uh, shortstop Oslevis Basabe at 5.4 mil, and outfielder Alexander Ovalles at 1.5 mil. So really, this is another one of those raised deals that we talk all the time about, 
where the Rays just have too much talent. It's all becoming MLB ready at about the same time. It's all clogging up the 40-man roster. They're going to lose guys in the Rule 5 draft, and they need to clear things out a little bit, get younger. This is another example of that. They clear a 40-man space by getting rid of Lowe, who was a little blocked. Uh, they have they have a pretty solid stable between Yoshi Tsutsugo and G-Man Choi of those lefty uh, first base types, first base DH types. Um, so they clear him off the 40-man roster and get some pretty interesting minor league talent back in return. That's why I'm a little 50-50 on it for the Rangers side. On the one hand, I love getting Nate Lowe. I, I think he's a great hitter. He's done nothing but mash everywhere he goes. They finally move on from Ronald Guzman, who you look at him on the field and you think, God, this guy looks this guy looks like a slugger. <laughs> this guy looks like the next big thing at first base. Yeah. But he's got Nomar Mazzara-itis <laughs> yeah. to where he looks great. His minor league performance was great. Can't get it done in the bigs. He's been given years to do it and just hasn't turned the corner. Um, might be in need of a change of scenery. Who knows? That didn't yeah. work for Mazzara. Maybe it works for Guzman. But it looks like he's getting bumped out of some playing time in favor of Lowe. Um, it's, yeah. it's a bit of a blow there to lose Hernandez and Basabe, or two of two of the better prospects in what we mentioned was a weak Ranger system. But they're also very young, very far away. You're, you're moving for a little bit more certainty here, and I think I, I like that move. Yeah, it is, because it you know on the one hand, it would contradict the point we just made, which is acquire as much young talent for the future as possible yeah. and trade it away. But on the other hand, you've got six years of Nate Lowe, who... Um, still has a lot of upside in him and could very well become an all-star slugger, you know, kind of a permanent fixture at, at first base. And I think you're right about the point about Guzman. That's been kind of a black hole position for them. So now they've got it settled. Um, you know, Nate Lowe's not perfect. He does have some swing and miss. He can't seem to get, can't seem to square up the high fastballs and occasionally the, the low and away sliders, but everything else he mashes. So um, I, I think it'll overall work out for them. Um, I will say it's another interesting thing. The, um, the main prospect going back to Tampa Bay, Roberto Hernandez, is interesting because he started off as a catcher, but now we're not sure if he's a catcher. He may be a corner outfield guy. What we do know is, is he can hit. We don't know what position he's going to play, but he can hit. And there's sort of a difference of opinion in the prospect evaluation world, which is you know, one sort of point we make, <clears throat> which is why we sort of um, try not to take one person's point of view, because one one outlet might be low on him, the other one might be high on him. You know, when we work it out and split the difference, he ended up being at 11, which in terms of the valuation of his trade, ended up when you combine the other two, it ended up being very close to perfectly uh, a match. So I feel like that's the way to go, because I think a, um, a front office would look at that and consider all sources, you know, Eric Neander, who runs the Rays front office would say, what do you think? What do you think? And then sort of build a consensus around is he, he's probably not extreme on this one, not even that end. He's probably sort of, you know, coalescing all those inputs. And so I think our sort of way of approaching what is Hernandez's value, which has, was very polarizing may I'm hoping anyway, maybe I'm just been getting lucky here, matching what, you know, a smart front office is doing as well, sort of splitting the difference saying, okay, he's probably somewhere in the middle. And that's where yeah. I ended up. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, when you look at whatever they say to the media, I, I haven't seen anything specifically that Neander or anyone else with the Rays said to the media about this trade. But as it's very common in trades like this that nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, the front office is going to tell the media, yeah, we think he's a catcher long term <laughs> because that, that just frames the trade in the best light for them. And obviously, 
if they are pulling the trigger on this and giving up a player with as much value as low, it, they do think there's a reasonable chance he ends up a catcher, but they're not treating him like that from a value standpoint. They're taking into consideration there's a very real chance and a lot of people who think that he won't stick. So that, that does bring down his value, and that, that actually makes this trade, as you mentioned, a near-perfect fit. We have it at 17.9 million for each side. That is granted before the player to be named later. That I don't, I don't, unless I miss something, has not been reported yet. Right. Which player to mean it? What player that is headed right. to the Rangers? Uh, that's usually a very low value player. So probably not going to move the needle too much there. Um, but yeah, it's it's a good match, a good fit, and uh, the numbers agree as well. You know, I will ask, I will add one more thing, which is that the the Rangers are very high on Sam Huff as a catcher. Right. And they think he's going to stick there, mm-hmm. which means he's going to own that position for if they're right for the next six years, which means a guy who might have been listed as a catcher might have been blocked as well. So it's another motivating factor. Yeah. I, you can squint a little bit, and, and maybe more than a little bit. You can squint <laughs> and see a Rangers team that could find its way into comp- into being competitive in the next year or two, especially if uh, if the rumored playoff expansion happens. Yeah, they've got... Well, I think they're stronger on the position player side in their prospects than they are on the pitching side. Definitely. You yes. know, they've got Huff, they've, you know, they have, if you consider Loa sort of a post prospect and Josh Jung, a third looks like a real um, mm-hmm. top, top prospect and probably a future regular at third, you know, Tahita came up and Tavares came up. So, you know, they're a little mm-hmm. bit younger, but they've got some upside. So, you know, you've got a five or six guys floating around there in the position player side that could right. could definitely form the core of the next good group. Can't really say that too much on the pitching side. That's right. why some work needs to be done. Right. They're, shirt and Apostle as well. Yeah. Um, we already mentioned Kainer Falefa, obviously Joey Gallo. And then I think there is a little bit to look at on the pitching side now that they have Dunning. Um, you could also yeah. take a look at Gibson and uh, and Lyles. Maybe not get your hopes too high there, but maybe one of them has a bit of a turnaround in them. Uh, they were both worse last year than they really have ever been. Um, so maybe they got something there. Maybe they go out and grab another one of those types of guys. Taiwan Walker, is he? <laughs> he's right up their alley, it feels like. He's another one yeah. of those types that could just click and have yeah. frontline stuff. Um, they got Jonathan Hernandez in the bullpen, who's disgusting. They are good at developing bullpen arms, I yes. will say. Yes. Yeah, they come out of nowhere and just develop these guys. So that's it's a good sign. And that's actually the next one we're going to talk about is okay. the <laughs> third consecutive Rangers trade here. Um, they sent Rafael Montero to the Mariners for uh, right-handed pitching prospect Jose Corniel and a player to be named later. Uh, so we had Montero at 0.5 million and Corniel at 0.8. So it's just about fair there. Yep. And Montero is another one of those types, kind of a scrap heap pickup. Uh, didn't really, he, he was hyped as a potential mid-rotation or better arm with the Mets, I believe. Really fell apart, kind of disappeared for a couple of years, and then pops up out of nowhere, and he's a pretty cromulent reliever in yeah. the Rangers' bullpen. Yeah, one of the things that I noted when I posted the trade was um, he was out of options, which mm-hmm. is another reason why he bounced around a bit. Um, which tends to hurt their value. But one of the things I was thinking about was, you know, once you've established yourself, you've got another year or two, you've got 
let's say three or four years in the majors, maybe being out of options is not so relevant anymore. I don't know, but that's what hurt his value at, you know, why is it 0 0.5? He's not a bad pitcher, but he was also getting expensive. I think he was set to earn about two and a half million this year. Mm -hmm. He's got another year of controls, but depending on how he does, you know, he might get too expensive for Seattle. I'm not quite sure I see this for Seattle. Like, Shouldn't they be holding on to their products, uh, prospects too at this point? Yeah. But maybe they just felt like, oh my gosh, our, our bullpen is so bad. Maybe we, you know, we just need a, a leader there, or maybe a guy we can flip later. Um, I don't quite see it, but okay. Yeah, they're rebuilding their bullpen for sure. They also signed Keenan Middleton off the free agent market. They've reportedly been been in talks with Blake Trinan, which I'm not sure. Again, I'm not sure I understand. Yeah. Uh, the bullpen, the bullpen is the least important part of a bad team, and it's the best way to kind of uh, accidentally, quote unquote, tank. <laughs> um, and it, they're still rebuilding for sure. They're not going to be anything near competitive in 2021. You can squint and see 22, 23 is probably more likely. Maybe they're just looking for a couple guys they can flip for more at the deadline. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, you're a little of both. You know, maybe they get lucky yeah. and, and there's an expanded playoff format. They got a little bit hot at the end of 2020. Maybe mm -hmm. they can sneak in there. Maybe they're thinking that. Yeah, and at least a guy like Middleton is still young. He's still got something in the tank. If they can bring him back to who he used to be, then maybe he is a part yeah. of the next good Mariners team. Don't necessarily see that with Montero or Trinan. Right. Short term. Yeah. All right, so I think we only have one trade left, as long as I'm not missing anything here. Uh, this one was just fairly recent. <laughs> it's the Rangers again. It just <laughs> I, I, That didn't click in my mind until just now. Jeez, okay. <laughs> have a week, guys. Um, so they traded outfielder Scott Heinemann, who we had at $0.9 million, to the Reds, in exchange for infielder Jose Acosta, who we have at $0.8. Um, pretty clear, just kind of yeah. bench fringe guy in Heinemann. Yeah. Um, the Reds, as we mentioned before, they're trying to cut costs. They were looking a little bit thin, kind of all over the diamond right now. Um, so another bench piece in exchange for probable utility guy in Acosta. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Maybe even he's Acosta's very young. I think he's still a teenager, so... You know, there's maybe he blossoms into the next Jose Ramirez. <laughs> That's yeah, like a one in yeah. a thousand sort of shot. But, you exactly. know, why not take it, you know? <laughs> if it comes at the cost of literally yeah. Scott Heinemann, <laughs> right. you take that risk. Yeah. You know, occasionally you get lucky, right? He, he mm -hmm. turns into something. So, you know. And on he... the flip side, occasionally Scott Heinemann becomes Adam Duvall or, or whoever. Or, or uh, Yastrzemski. Mike Yastrzemski yes, is out of nowhere. Yes, Mike Yastrzemski. The, the <laughs> Martinez. Who knows? Yeah, so there's always a little bit of that, which is it's part of the fun of baseball. But uh, yeah, this is a very minor trade. Yeah, I will say you, you mentioned the uh, the Rangers being so active. We should also mention they have a new GM, right? Right. I don't know if that right. has anything to do with it. It's, you know, it's an That's awful a lot point. to do in your first week or so on a job, um, and it's probably his boss doing most of that, or the groundwork that they laid before he got in in the job. Uh, it's probably John Daniels and his staff. And then, you know, Chris Young, the new GM, is probably saying, yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, he's probably not like I can't see him like day one. OK, let's trade a bunch of guys every day. I don't that's probably not happening. That's, these things are usually in the works for a while before they actually get announced. Yeah, definitely. That's that's definitely playing a role there. Uh, Chris Young, universally seen as just a great guy, all around great guy, great baseball mind. Um, and so, yeah, maybe he is just leading the overhaul over there um and 
really already being a factor. That would be, <laughs> that's fun to think about, fun to consider. All right, let's head into a few signings really quick. Um, there were a handful of signings over the last two weeks. We're just going to touch on a couple of the more recent and more interesting ones. Um, so let's start out back to the Rays. They're going to bring back Mike Zunino. Uh, they brought him back on a one-year contract, uh, $3 million in guaranteed money. It'll be $2 million in 2021, and then a $1 million buyout on a club option for 2022. Uh, they had a club option on Zunino for $4.5 million for the 2021 season. They declined it, and they bring him back for cheaper. Um, this kind of seems like one of those situations where they checked the market, realized they couldn't do any better for their price range, and said, all right, we'll settle yeah. for Zunino. Um he was pretty awful <laughs> offensively with the Rays. Um, uh, MLB Trade Rumors has him at a 161, 233, 323 slash line in a Rays uniform. Yeah. Uh, but he's good defense. Yeah. And he's always had that little bit in the tank that makes him just a little bit interesting. Yeah, and they obviously know him well. He knows the pitching staff yeah. well, so that plays a role. I do think he it's a little bit of another situation where he doesn't get as much respect as perhaps he should, because his defense is probably affecting games more than it should gets into that whole question of how you, how you value catcher defense on the one hand, you get a lot of people saying, yeah, catcher is the most important defensive position in the world. We value it highly, but then the market says, no, not really. (laughs) Yeah. If you can't hit, no, Austin, you see, yeah, exactly. Zeno, Zeno, fine. You're going to get two, three million. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. just, uh, the market is saying, no, we, we don't really value the defense that much, but I wonder what's really going on there. Yeah, how many glove-first catchers are still sitting out there just signing spring training invites or not <laughs> even getting a job at all? Like, um, But Zunino, he's he's a, a small step above that type because he will do a little bit with the bat, and historically he has shown the potential to do more with the bat. Oh. And the, the Rays really just had nothing at catcher. They lost their backups as well. Um, I believe they non-tendered both Michael Perez and Kevin Smith. <clears throat> yeah, so, and, their, and their 40 is full. So one of the yeah. reasons they traded Nate Lowe is to open up a spot on the 40, and they know they needed at least two catchers on it, probably three. And so now the yeah. 40 is again. So look for the Rays to make one or two more moves just because they got to get at yeah. least one more catcher. Yeah, and we're not necessarily saying they're going to make the, the big Blake Snell move, but uh, maybe some moves on the fringes, shuffling around some bullpen pieces. Maybe they find a way out from Kevin Kiermeyer's contract. they got a lot of options over there. Yeah. One more point about Zanino. He's easy to find. If Josh and I work on spreadsheets, he's the last, always the last guy on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I really, I always appreciate those guys with unique names or the ones that you know will be at the beginning or the end or the guys whose names aren't Hernandez or Smith or <laughs> Jones or no, but <laughs> Lopez. You, you, exactly. Or Garcia. Yeah, there's yeah. A whole bunch of those guys were Rodriguez. But, um, you know, when you get to Zanino, you're done. Like, okay. Yes, <laughs> yes. it's a good feeling. <laughs> All right. Um, another another smaller free agent signing, but I think this one's super interesting. Back to the Rangers again. We, for, we forgot to mention this guy when we were talking about them and how they could be a little interesting the next couple of years. They signed David Dahl. Yes. <laughs> they picked up David Dahl on a $2.7 million contract. Uh, he was non-tendered by the Rockies. He's only 26 former top prospect uh, had some significant major league success as well with Colorado. And then just the injuries took over um, and he had a pretty poor 2020 season. But I mean, if there was, he's one of the highest upside, lowest cost free agents on the market. And I think that's a 
very smart signing for a team in the Rangers spot. Yeah, I mean, look, monetarily, what they paid for him, 2.7, is not going to break the bank, even in this market. Um, you know, but, you know, let's be real. You know, he's never played you know, more than 100 games in a season. His average is about 80, 81. I did the math. You know, he's you're basically getting a guy who's had every injury known to man, and so you're not going to get more than a half a season out of him, you know. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, he has a lot of trouble with lefties, and he's really not as good on the road as he is at cores. And so the question there is, like, what kind of hitter it really is he when you take him out of cores? He's mm-hmm. average below to below average so far in his career we know there's a bias whereas every you know every player does better in their home field right we know there's a given but we know there's even more of a bias at cores for hitters so the Mm -hmm. question then becomes you know even if you look at stats that are sort of adjusted for that like wrc plus you know you look at the splits they're still not very encouraging so Mm -hmm. you know Again, though, you know, it's not a lot of money to pay on, on a flyer on upside, so I can see it. I mean, yeah. you know, our model doesn't like him that much because of all those negatives, because you're getting half a season for uh, basically a platoon guy, who, by the way, is also not very good in the field. But, you know, <clears throat> I can see him having having a breakout. He's still got, you know, relatively, he's relatively young. What is he, 26 now? 26, you know? yeah. Yeah, so most players peak at 27, so you've still got a little ray of hope there, so that maybe can turn something, turn into something for a year. So sure, yeah. why not? Yeah, and uh, a lot of research has been done into the Coors Field effect, where it's not necessarily, as you mentioned, and I know you weren't suggesting this at all. It's not as simple as just, oh, he's a 180 hitter on the road. That means he's bad. That means yeah. Nolan Arenado is bad. If you trade yeah. him out of <laughs> Coors, he'll be bad. Yeah. Um, there's there's also a Coors Field penalty. Yeah. That could be almost as strong as the Coors Field uh, effect in the park, where mm-hmm. when they play on the road, it's significantly harder for them to adjust to how much yeah. more the breaking ball <clears throat> breaks, how much more the ball moves, um, since they've been so used to it at the higher altitudes. Right. Um, so that's that's a factor as well. It's really, you look at a guy like DJ LeMayhew, who's been just fine. He's been better <laughs> since he left yeah. uh, Coors. You look at Corey Dickerson, who's been fine since he left. There's there's plenty of those types of stories. It's not so it's not so simple as this guy could hit in Coors and all of a sudden he can't. It certainly happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, plenty of red flags with Dole, there's with Dahl, excuse me. Um, there's a reason he was non-tendered. There's a reason he only got 2.7 mil on the yeah. open market. But if there's a team that would take a gamble on him, it's a team like the Rangers, a team like the Pirates, one of these teams that. They, they're not blocking anybody by picking this guy up. It's all upside. Yeah, exactly. There's very little risk and there's potential reward, so why not? Mm-hmm. Uh, going into perhaps the opposite, <laughs> um, quite a bit of risk here. Uh, so the Mets signed James McCann, mm-hmm. and it's been somewhat controversial. Um, he's really just been more of a backup the last couple of years. I uh, found himself behind a couple of solid catchers, not getting full playing time. He's been an incredible hitter in that small sample size after being non-tendered by the Tigers back in 2018. And he was really the far, far second best option well behind JT Realmuto available on the free agent market this offseason. And so the Mets, who everyone was looking at as deep pockets now that Cohen has taken over the team, uh, everyone's looking at them to make these big signings. They were really looked at one as one of the favorites for Realmuto. Instead, it looks like they've opted to pick up McCann for cheaper than Real Muto, 
and fo focus the rest of their money toward another free agent, maybe a Trevor Bauer, maybe a George Springer, who knows. Uh, but it looks like that's the route that they're taking. That being said, it's not a very cheap deal for, <laughs> for the quote-unquote cheaper alternative. Um, they're giving James McCann four years, $40.6 million. Um, I think that surprised a lot of people because this is James McCann. <laughs> but he has been legitimately awesome over the last two years. Um, so, so what do you think about this? So it is a very curious deal. Um, we have a tale of two McCanns. There was the bad McCann and then there was the good McCann. And so when you do these projections, you know, most projection system, systems, excuse me, take into account the last four years and they weight the most recent year, the heaviest, and then the second most recent year and so on down the line. So when you look at projection systems, they don't love him because they're taking into account the bad third and fourth years ago. Um, you know, he had a swing change, something radically changed before the 2019 season where he just sort of turned a corner. So if you just take it by the book, he's uh, he's not worth what they're paying. On the other hand, if you say no, he had a swing change and he is good. If you just look at the last two years, it's a totally different story. Then he's, he's you know, you could strongly argue that he's worth that. And then the next point I would say is if you compare him to Real Muto, um, Real Muto is looking for like 25 million a year or so, somewhere in that neighborhood for an AAV over a longer period of time. You know, if you're paying 10 and you're hoping for some, you know, similar, maybe not quite as much production, but, you know, he's a cut below Real Muto, but he's not bad. And maybe you haven't seen the best of him because he hasn't been playing as much. You know, you could argue that there is value there. So he's either overvalued on the one hand or undervalued on the other hand. Maybe they're splitting the difference. Are uh, our common sense we had to apply some common sense to this one and take you know figure what what are the Mets thinking they're looking at the mostly you know the the real the new James McCann the last two years and for that we we have a fair value of 36.7 they're paying 40.6 they wanted to to I think win the bidding of the market so they overpaid a little bit by you know roughly a million a year so it's it's for them it's pocket change it's fine but what the bigger point is they didn't want to pay Real Muto what he was worth. They went for the second option. And that sent a, sends a signal to the market. And also, I'm sure, didn't make Real Muto happy because now where is he going to go? You know, And maybe that hurt his value a little bit. But it's also a signal to the market that the Mets are being very savvy with their money. They may have a lot of money, but they're not throwing it around like a drunken sailor. They're saying, no, nope, we're going to take, we're going to be smart about this one. We're smart about that one. Trevor May instead of Hendricks, McCann instead of Ray Muto. You know, they're they're picking the second guy here and the second guy there. And maybe we'll see the big splash. Maybe it's, you know, it's a Springer or a Bauer, like you said, um, you know, but they had a couple, and they have a couple more holes to fill in their rotation. So I think they're being smart about putting a complete team together. I suspect four years from McCann, who's, by the way, over 30, maybe a little much, but they can afford it. So it's okay. I'm not going to quibble about it. It's close enough if you if you look at it that way. Yeah, and he does grade very well defensively. It's a very good pitch yeah. framer. Yeah. Um, maybe they believe that's something that will age a little better. So even if the bat falls off um, near the end of that contract, at least they have at least an average, maybe above average defender. Obviously, got a great the arm too. Yes, yes. <clears throat> obviously, obviously, there's the caveat there that robot strike zone could be coming in the next year or two. Yeah. If that happens, that pitch framing kind of goes out the window. But you work with the market that you have. <laughs> uh, the you gotta yeah. you gotta plan as if this this incredibly valuable skill that makes him valuable. He's going to be acting as if 
it's going to remain a valuable skill, so you kind of have to find some middle ground there and continue to pay him uh, for that value. So another option that they have as the bigger uh, the bigger splash that they make is something that's come up in some rumors. This <laughs> let me let me stop to mention how seamlessly and accidentally the news has flowed <laughs> in this episode from team to team. <laughs> it, it helps that there's only a few teams to talk about because the other yeah. 25 of them are all sitting on their hands. I don't know, getting ready for Christmas, whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> this is the news is just flowing seamlessly this week. Um, the Mets, if they want to make a splash and maybe they miss out on Springer Bauer or maybe they those uh, those two contract demands go a little out of hand for them, they have another option. And according to rumors, according to John Morosi, the Rockies have reached out to the Mets about Nolan Arenado and seeing if they would take Nolan Arenado and his contract and what the interest level was there. Um, so this is the very sort of the first stages of this rumor. We don't have a lot here to go off of. It's just kind of like they're talking. They're talking about Arenado. No idea how serious it is. No idea where he lands on the Mets wish list. Um, but there is sort of an obvious fit there between the two. When you look at Nolan Arenado, who we have at negative 43.7 million in trade value. And then you look at Robinson Cano, who we, we have at negative 40.5 million in trade value. So you can kind of already see a framework there where you flip Arenado and Cano, the Rockies maybe eat some of the Arenado contract down the road, and in exchange, the Mets throw in either a solid MLB player or prospect to compensate for the money that the Rockies eat. Um, you can see a framework there. It's I'd categorize this as highly, highly unlikely, because as we've mentioned in the past, discussed at length, Arenado is really difficult to trade right now. But it's some it's fun to speculate about and something we couldn't have even considered a year ago when Jeff Wilpon was in charge. <laughs> yeah, so um, this is just a rumor. Uh, so correct, no one gets too excited about it. And even Andy Martino at SNY said, no, I haven't been reporting that. And sometimes Morosi can get a little ahead of himself. Um, so, but, but nonetheless, you're right. It is interesting. And I found it sort of um, um, a little bit more realistic when Cano's name came up because to your point, the values match up pretty closely. We're talking about, you know, a negative 40-ish for a negative 40-ish. So, and the money is the other, obviously, always follow the money, folks. Always follow the money. You know, uh, Arenado is owed, if he doesn't opt out, he's owed $199 million. You know, Cano is only owed, you know, because he's on suspension, he's only on $40 million. So the Rockies right there are saving $150 million, uh, if they if they move them. Um, so that's a big motivating factor and obviously clears the deck. And, and I think they're looking at a rebuild. At some point, they're going to know that. Um, and then to your point, if they kick in a little bit more money, you know, they can actually get a prospect. So the PR aspect is in, is interesting as well, because, you know, I'm sure Colorado is factoring that in and they're thinking, well, if we get rid of Nolan Arenado, a lot of people don't think, or a lot of casual fans probably don't realize that his value is, is negative. I strongly feel that it is. And so they would expect a haul for him. They're not going to get a haul for them unless they get creative like this. But Cano at least have some name value. So the average fan, they're like, oh, they got Cano and, you know, somebody else. So, you know, that's not, you know, that'll go over a little bit well just because of the name value. Um, and, and, you know, but behind the scenes, I'm sure they're trying to make the numbers match up from a value standpoint, from a money standpoint. Um, and then um, from the Mets standpoint, I, I 
I, I'm having a harder time seeing it because, you know, Sandy Alderson has already said, you know, they're going to look to the free agent market, you know, for most of their moves. You know, then again, I could see them wanting to get rid of Cano because he got saddled with it and like, eh. <laughs> sure, they just want to get rid of him at this point. So yeah. I could see that as well. Um, you know, I, I think the Mets also have another problem, which is the DH issue is going to affect them because where do they put Dom Smith? Even if they don't acquire uh, Arenado, even if they acquired Springer, it creates this domino effect because then you put, you know, Nimmo in left and Conforto in right. And where are you putting Dom Smith if they don't have a DH? Because you got Alonzo at first. You still have to play J.D. Davis somewhere or maybe, you know, maybe they platoon them somehow. Jeff McNeil you know. can play all over, <laughs> but he needs a spot. Yeah, but you've got essentially three sort of no defense corner guys in Alonzo Smith and, and uh, Davis. So if you picked up another corner guy, you know, something's got to give there. Even so if maybe... it is a plus plus defense corner guy. Yeah, exactly. It's still adding to the log time. So maybe they include a JD Davis or something in that time yeah. or a Dom Smith in that deal yeah. as one of the pieces. Maybe that's yeah. a solution, but you're right. There already is a log jam and adding another infielder to that. Another position player of any type to that really doesn't necessarily help. <laughs> yeah, unless, but like I said, there's no clarity on whether the DH is happening for the for the National League in, in 2021, and I think that is a problem. That's a holdup for a lot of a lot of teams because it mm-hmm. does, even if it's not an obvious sort of thing, it does create a domino effect on your decisions uh, because it's it's an extra lineup bat that you would yeah. need or not need. So in the Mets case, it's like okay, Thomas Smith can play DH, but if you know if it's not there, then they've got a problem. So um, yeah. that's got to be resolved. It's preposterous that this wasn't decided before off-season activity started. I, it's unbelievable <laughs> that they couldn't have come to an agreement on this back in September, October, November. Yeah. And maybe avoided this being a question for half the teams in the league and a significant portion of free agents. What does What do Kyle Schwarber and Nelson Cruz do now? Yeah. Do they just sign with the best contract offer they get from the 15 teams that have a DH? Or do they wait and cross their fingers that yeah. the other 15 will get one and suddenly need one of these guys? Um, really yeah. ridiculous that we haven't gotten an answer on this yet. Um, we have seen some rumors and reports that the DH will be gone in the National League in 21 and then likely come back in 22 after the new CBA. Um, but those nothing official yet. So everyone's kind of operating under this uncertainty. Um, so there's that factor for Smith and Alonzo and Davis, as you mentioned. I do want to yeah. point out as well that the Rockies are no strangers to this type of deal. If you think back to the Troy Tulowitzki trade, yeah. when they sent Tulowitzki to the uh, Blue Jays in, I believe, 2014? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they, they brought back uh, Jose Reyes, yep. who he was also suspended at the time. His was for domestic violence, which is significantly worse than uh, performance enhancing drug but he was also currently on a suspension and he was owed a significant amount of money over maybe i I believe it was over a shorter period of time than tulowitzki was so very similar framework there where they're trading away their homegrown superstar on the big contract who's a little bit underwater because he's uh maybe had some injury issues maybe declining a bit yep and owed a lot of money and in, in exchange they're taking back another one of those underwater overpaid former stars but also finding some value in there by eating some of the contract so yeah it's it's not this isn't 
unheard of at all from either of these two teams. Yeah. Now, granted, that was a different front office, so right. I haven't seen this GM do that type of deal. But you're right; it has it has been known to happen, and they somehow survived it in Colorado for, with the fan base. So maybe mm-hmm. they'll be okay. Yeah, I, I I think the fan base. It's hard to hard to gauge the Colorado fan base really, um, but they've just been treading water for so long. They'd obviously there's a large portion there that would hate to see either Arenado or Story go. There's also probably a significant portion that said, "We got to do something different. <laughs> we, we gotta we gotta make some changes here. And if this is how it happens, if we need to clear this money, then I guess do it." Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, it, it would be much easier for them to just trade Trevor Story, right? Who's just yeah. got a year left, and he's clearly has surplus value. And if they really wanted to blow things up, they could trade Marquez, who's their most valuable player, who's on a friendly contract and is is a top of the rotation starter. So with four years left, but you know, part of me thinks that rationally they might be better off just not trading Arenado. And if he wants to walk at the end of the year, let him walk. And then you save yourself $164 million that way. And you're yes. here right now. You're, you're basically selling low. I mean, best case scenario is he rebounds in 2021 and, you know, maybe his value is even. And let's say he still walks away. You still save yourself $164 million. You're like, you don't have to take on a bad contract or kick in something else or whatever. You could just let him walk and fine. Um, but that's a really strong point because just just look at the terms of this deal. Obviously, it's it's not perfect because if if the Mets don't go out and get Arenado, they're probably going to go get someone else for a big contract and no longer have interest in taking on that kind of deal. But mm-hmm. even just looking at this specifically, another year passes and Arenado chooses not to opt out. His contracts even more underwater because he's put put behind him another one of his better years he's going more into the decline phase etc etc cano will still be in new york presumably and he will still have negative 40.5 million in trade value because his contract for 2021 he is gone right (laughs) that that's just his 2022 23 salaries at 40.5 right Right. so you're right you don't lose unless you think you can get actual value somewhere for Arenado right now, which I'm 100% with you in thinking, no, you can't, especially with this opt-out looming over him, mm-hmm. then what do you lose? Either, you're right, either he opts out, regardless of whether he has a good or bad season, either he just says, I, I don't care about the money, I'm getting out of here, uh-huh. and opts out, and you don't have to worry about the money. Uh-huh. Or, whether whether he had a good season or a mediocre season or a bad season, you're just in kind of a very similar spot where he remains on the team, and at least now you don't have the opt-out causing problems, and you can just say, okay, it's much more clear now that he's underwater by this much, and we'll have to do this to get rid of him. Yeah, and best-case scenario, he bounces back and has a good season, and wipes and out some of that negative stay. value. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and, and works it out. So you have, you know, right now is the worst possible time to trade him. I mean, the only thing I can think of other than this is, Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they think he is damaged goods and he's going to get even mm-hmm. more underwater, you know, and so then they're going to be really stuck with an albatross. You know, that's the only thing I can think of. I don't know. Right. Maybe his shoulder issue was worse than we thought. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, or or maybe just like they've had enough and they just want him out. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's hard to gauge exactly how toxic that relationship is both ways. Yeah, but it just seems like from a rational point of view, now is not the not now is not the time. To, you know, you don't sell low. You buy low and you sell high. You don't sell low, but that's what they're trying to do. Right, right. Well, I think it's 
it's very interesting to think about. There's a fit there, probably, but there's just so many variables, so many question marks. If I were a betting man, which I'm not, <laughs> but if I were a betting man, I'd put a lot of money on Arenado staying put for this year. I would as well. All right. Um, next, uh, we have another another bit of news that we can kind of transition from. But uh, before we do that, I just found out a little bit more information about our friend Scott Heineman. Uh, so this is uh, this is courtesy of Kylie McDaniel on Twitter. So apparently, and I knew I knew part of this story, but this full story is just bizarre. The Rangers non-tendered Heineman two weeks ago, even though he wasn't eligible for arbitration yet. He was pre-arb, but you see that occasionally, and we saw that for a handful of players this year where they were non-tendered and then re-signed to different yeah. minor league deals. Or in this case, he was re-signed to a major league deal almost immediately after, which is a little strange. Then they DFA'd him because they did the same little routine with Jimmy Herget who same deal they non-tendered him even though he was pre-arb and then re-signed him to a major league deal then realized they needed a spot on the 40-man for him so they dfa'd heineman and then they trade heineman <laughs> so theoretically the reds had two other opportunities or one other opportunity i guess uh for heineman and i don't know if it was just one of those uh, the non-tendering was a formality thing and they'd already agreed to the new deal with heineman I don't know exactly how the logistics there work, but weird little story for a player you wouldn't think would be would have that complicated a transaction history. <laughs> no, it's 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 just forty man, you know, yep. roster trickery is what it is. Yep. Um, however, that worked out behind the scenes. Um, yeah, it, Kylie McDaniel's been very good about pointing out those little details. I think it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, from there, let's head into another big front office news. So we had. We had Kim Ng recently. We already mentioned uh, Perry Manai. Uh, <laughs> I'm never going to learn how to, how to pronounce his name. Manaisian? Manazian. Manazian. There we go. Uh, Perry Manazian. Um, Chris Young, we mentioned earlier in this episode. And then the other, the big one, probably the most, maybe the most surprising, up there with Ng for sure, is Dave Dombrowski. So he had been pretty heavily rumored, or at least speculated, to. And connected to the Angels job, which is kind of a natural fit. When you think of Dave Dombrowski and his reputation, he's the type that pushes in the chips, pushes in the money, pushes in the top prospects, and gets you a championship. And that's kind of the spot the Angels are in right now. That's what they, what you might think they would want. They have some blue chip prospects at positions that they also have decent major leaguers at. They really need, they really want a championship. They're sick of losing. They're sick of wasting Mike Trout's prime. Dombrowski feels like a pretty natural fit for them. But he did not, I, I don't believe he even interviewed for that job. He was strongly connected to the uh, Nashville yeah. MLB project um, that's been kind of in the background. Um, and, and people with that project were even caught off guard when he signed with the Phillies this week. Um, it, it, reportedly surprised them they didn't see it coming people close to him didn't see it coming he ends up signing for four years and 20 million dollars which is particularly strange given the phillies position right now so they've had some <laughs> not so great rumors come out of philadelphia um there have been rumors that they w were looking to trade zach wheeler a year after they signed him to which ownership responded to say they wouldn't trade him for babe ruth 
I agree. If our mo- if we put our Babe Ruth into our model, we'd say he's worth zero dollars <laughs> because he's dead. <laughs> so they probably shouldn't trade Zach Wheeler for him. Um, but there was that. Uh, there have been rumors that they're trying to trade Gene Segura, which is a little, little bit smaller, but kind of a cost-cutting move for sure. And then there was a report, uh, um, a, an incorrect report, that had stated that they lost $3 billion last year <laughs> or something along those lines yeah, um, and was later later cre- corrected, but still included that they had lost significant money. And so it seems like Philadelphia, on the surface, falling apart a little bit after that big spending spree, going out and getting Bryce Harper, and then being stuck at 500 for a couple of years. So it looked like they were falling apart. And then they bring in Dombrowski, and not only that, but pay him $5 million a year. Yeah. So what, what's your initial reaction to that? Uh, well, your last point is correct. They, they were a mess. They did fall apart. I mean, they had no front office, basically. They fired Mark, Matt Clintac. Well, they sort of fired him. They, they put him out to pasture. And they had, like, you know, a couple of couple old veterans kind of filling in the interim, and they didn't really have a plan. And so, but time was ticking, and they sort of needed a plan, and then they were rumors floating around that they were cutting costs and now they weren't and like it ultimately falls to the owner to make a decision right like are you going to cut costs or not are you are you crying poor you lost a lot of money and so you want to cut costs or you're the guy who signed you know bryce harper to stupid money or do you want to take advantage of his prime years and actually try to win in the background of this is also the fact that you know they're the, they they went on a rebuild. Their fans sort of bought the fact that they were rebuilding for a couple of years. And then they said, okay, we're done rebuilding. Now let's win. And it wasn't quite finished. You know, they didn't quite have all the pieces. And I think it was a little premature. And you sort of, you know, the proof was in the pudding and the standings. They didn't quite get there. You know, and, and you can't count on just because you have a Reese Hoskins here or, a, you know, uh, an Aaron Nola there that you've, you've completed it. Because you need a lot more than that. So um, they weren't quite there. And so they got a little ahead of themselves. Uh, they signed Brian, Bryce Harper thinking, okay, that's the finishing piece. It wasn't quite because, you know, you had busts in the pitching staff. You had, you know, Kingery is looking kind of like a bust, if I may, may be frank. Um, you traded away some prospects. Uh, it's just kind of a mess. <laughs> yeah, Sixto. And before that, J.P. Crawford, who's now looking better. So... <laughs> it's a mess. They they were they were going different directions, and so they pick a direction at least. So with the, the with the Dombrowski hire, it seems like Middleton is saying, "Okay, we're going to win." I mean, because look, they've got a sunk cost in the Harper contract, right? And he's in his prime years still. So and he had a decent 2020. So you know, maybe it's similar to the Trout situation where you're going to build a winner around your marquee player. So, but but they can't kind of like have it both ways. They can't have Dabrowski and his reputation for building winners and, you know, and, and, you know, spending money and not spend money. So what are they going to mm-hmm. do? <laughs> yeah. It's strange. <laughs> the, the difference is between this and the trout situation is that trout's team has a Jordan Adams and a Jordan, Joe Adele and a Brandon Marsh that are sitting on the farm. There's not going to be room for all three of them. You can push at least one of those three pretty solid chips in yeah. And get yourself some major league talent to bolster Trout to push them into the playoffs. Yeah. You also have ownership that has shown willingness to spend a bit more consistently, I would say. Yeah. 
Um, granted, they've Not been doing just... it so much. They still have they have the Trout Mega Contract, they have the Rendon Mega Contract, and they have the Pujols Mega Contract and the Upton Contract, <laughs> all still on the books. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe this isn't the off season for them to hand out another big deal yeah. to a Bauer or whoever. Yeah. Um, but it's still a bit more of a natural fit for what you think of the Dave Dombrowski stereotype in your head, where he joins this team that's on the verge and pushes them over the edge. Nobody thinks the Phillies are on the verge, except for maybe the Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, like you said, they they bring him in to clean up the mess. Nobody really thinks of Dombrowski as the type who cleans up the mess. However, I saw a very good point made on Twitter that really changed the way I think about this at, uh, entirely, and it's from Foolish Baseball. He's one of the <laughs> he's a great Twitter follow. If you don't, uh-huh. highly recommend it. Who said? Dave Dombrowski's skill isn't building a winner. Most GMs can trade stacked farm systems for superstars. No, Dombrowski's superpower is convincing owners to let him go nuts. He's already convinced the Phillies, a club considering austerity, to pay him $20 million to go nuts instead. This isn't a criticism of Dombrowski, it's a compliment. Convincing the owners to let him go nuts is the one thing that the other Ivy League whiz kid GMs can't do. He's a mad genius. Absolutely. He speaks their language, he manages up, he's... Yeah, he, he... Yeah. Absolutely. I will be (laughs) beyond impressed if he takes this team that was at least reportedly talking about trading Zach Wheeler. And maybe they still do trade a Gene Segura. Maybe they find a way to offload Andrew McCutcheon, something along those lines, get out from under that money. But they were trying to, they were looking at trading one of their best players. Yeah. And if he turns that around and gets them to sign, to re-sign Real Mudo, (laughs) if he gets them to sign maybe a Springer, I don't know. If he gets them to spend any sort of significant free agent dollars, I will be blown away. Now, he still doesn't necessarily have the prospect stock he's used to. They're two most valuable young pieces um, outside of Aaron Nola, who's not going anywhere. Um, Spencer Howard and Alec Bohm, they need both of those guys. Yes, they do. They'd get them a solid return, but they need them too much to trade them. If you trade them, you're shooting yourself in in the foot, robbing Peter to pay Paul. Yep. Bryson Stott? Maybe he's at. We have him at twenty-one point six. Um, we're gonna actually talk about him a little bit more in a minute. Um, but maybe he's a guy you can flip. They also don't have a shortstop right now since uh, Didi Gregorius is a free agent. So I don't know if that's a possibility. They just drafted Mick Abel. They probably want to see what they have with him. But also that wasn't under Dombrowski. So who knows? Maybe he's willing mm-hmm. to move on from him. Mm-hmm. But then there's a pretty sharp drop off into mm-hmm. some international guys. Guys in the underneath 10 million in trade value at that territory or you're looking more at mid to back end rotation arms or mm-hmm. sort of your third best outfielder you know nothing <laughs> nothing too special you're not looking at a superstar return anymore yeah so he doesn't have that talent stock that he's used to when it comes to what he did in boston taking a yoan moncada and a, a michael kopech and going out and getting the best pitcher in baseball and using that to win a championship. He doesn't have that. If he can do what he did there and convince the team to <laughs> sign a J.D. Martinez type, their their version of J.D. Martinez or whatever their version of David Price, then he's got a chance here to actually turn the Phillies into a winner. But he certainly has his work cut out for him. He does. And as Sandy Alderson said recently, there's only two forms of capital. There's money and there's players. He doesn't have to your point players not much unless he wants to trade from 
you know, the top of his farm with guys who are farther away, like a Stott or a, uh, Abel, um, which he might do. Um, and then, so that really becomes quite, you know, to your earlier point, convincing ownership to spend money. And so maybe he convinces them, look, you know, you've got the clock ticking on Harper and Hoskins and Nola, they're in their prime, you know, you might as well go for it. And when, you know, maybe he lays out a five-year plan where they say, okay, money's going to get better next year and the year after that, you have that, so bite the bullet now, but it's in the long run, it'll be good for you. So maybe he can sweet talk Middleton into that plan. And if so, then maybe he can re-sign Rio Muto. You know, and then you know, he needs he needs some bullpen pieces. He needs at least one other outfielder. To your point, he needs another infielder. Maybe you can get by with Segura at shortstop and Kingery at second, but then you still need, you know, it depends on how you move them around. Um, so he needs like at least three position players, um, maybe another starter, and which we'll get into. And then God knows he needs a bullpen. So there's a lot of work to do there. Yeah, I look at this team. I see a team that has some of the pieces in place, but too much money <laughs> shored up in those pieces Yeah. for a team that's not going to be blowing past the luxury tax. So uh, yeah. they, they need to find more affordable contributors, and maybe that's, that's some of their younger guys finally stepping up, and Adam Hazley, Vince Velasquez finally turning the corner, something like that. Or maybe that's getting creative, finding a way to offload the Segura, the McCutcheon, and so you can actually spend more on the free agent market. Or it's just doing what Dombrowski does and saying, hey, let's let's forget about that whole budget thing and just let me go get all the good players and I'll give you a winner. Yeah. Having said that, I saw another sort of interesting comment on Twitter, which is that, you know, the fact that he was involved with the Nashville operation and, and you could go back to his days in Miami where he kind of built that from scratch. Um, you can say that he's not just the guy that puts them over the top. He can build from scratch. He can be patient and build a foundation of a core and, mm -hmm. you know, be a little bit more measured in his approach. Um, and he said as much in his press conferences. He, he wanted maybe to temper expectations because he knows he has his reputation for being a wheel dealer and, and, and making all these win-now moves. But, you know, he wanted to say, like, it doesn't have to be next year. It could be the year after the year after that. But, you know, he wanted to at least make the point that it's not just win now right now you know i can be patient and his nashville experience suggests that maybe he was wanting to be patient there too so i i don't know um i'm just saying it's not necessarily a win now situation in, in philly right now although you know i think his his owner you know maybe talked into that we'll see what yeah he, which which approach he takes it'd be fascinating yeah, and it's very possible that he this this reputation he has is unfair. I think it's I think it's very likely that this reputation he has is unfair, um, because maybe he's not the guy that you bring him in and he trades all your prospects for stars and makes that push and doesn't care about the farm system. Maybe he's just the guy who is willing to do that if yeah. it's the right call. Because no question I about I, that, he has yes. done that, right? He traded Moncada and Kopech and those guys. Yes. But he also didn't trade Devers or Bogarts. Yeah. That's another thing that people have pointed out that like, yeah, he traded Moncada and Moncada's turning into a star. He traded Kopech and Kopech could still be a star, but he got back a bona fide star in Chris Sale and he kept so much talent on the team. He didn't just blow up and send all the young players out for veterans. Yeah. So like he can come to the Phillies and you don't necessarily have to be scared that he's going to trade a Spencer Howard or an Alec Bohm because he's yeah. not dumb. He knows that's not the right decision. He knows yeah. you need them for the long term. Yeah. Unless he gets blown away in some deal, those guys are staying put. It's just maybe he even has a knack for identifying 
talent in the minors, prospect talent. Maybe he has some trusted evaluators. I, I don't know what the deal is, but maybe he will be able to identify. Maybe the market's a little bit higher on Bryce and Stott than I am. Let's take advantage of that. And he's willing to take advantage on it rather than, oh, maybe we want to hang, into, hang on to him just in case he does become a star like he could. We don't want to get burned. Right. Maybe he's just a little less afraid of being burned. Yeah, and there's a decision, you know, making sort of process he goes through. Like, is it more important to win now or win later? If it's win now, then let's go for it. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he's he's pretty matter of fact in that, right? You know, other GMs will take a more sort of balanced approach and say, well, we want to win now, but we also want to have a sustainable future. You know, he's like, okay, <laughs> which direction am I going? And then he'll go there. You know, but to your point, it's not necessarily, I agree, it's unfair to just paint him as the win now guy. He can He can be patient and he can be a little more nuanced than that. Right, right. Um, with that in mind, <laughs> let's transition to our trade of the week, which is Pirates and Phillies. This is from user Ride1990, so thanks a lot for the submission. And this one has the Phillies adding a player that I don't necessarily think fits uh, fits Dombrowski's MO, but I think he fits the team perfectly. So they would pick up Joe Musgrove from the Pirates, who we have at $36.4 million in median trade value. Two years of team control, he's 27 years old, has really broken out and kind of helped ease the uh, the pain that was the Garrett Cole trade for the Pirates. In exchange, they'd be sending Bryson Stott, 21.6 million, uh, Francisco Morales at 8.7 million, and outfielder Adam Hazley at 6.2 million to the Pirates. So all in all, deal essentially lines up 36.5 to 36.4. It's an interesting one, and like I, like I said, I don't necessarily think Musgrove is a Dombrowski type of player, but I'm also kind of, as we just discussed, I'm trying to fight my idea that there necessarily is a Dombrowski type of player. Maybe that's just kind of reputation and a narrative, and I need to look past that. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, first of all, this one is getting a lot of upvotes. You know, the ratio between up and down is, is quite strong, so a lot of people thought this was a good one. Um, so from the Phillies' point of view, since we're on the Dabrowski topic, I agree it's not his highest priority or, you know, typically what he's known for is getting a superstar like a Chris Sale, right? Musgrove is not, he's, he's, he's underpaid and undervalued. He's maybe a number two, he'd be a number three on the Phillies if they were to do this deal. The Phillies already have Nola and Wheeler and Zach Eflin kind of broke out as a three. So that would push Eflin to four if they got Musgrove. So, you know, you could argue that they do need to strengthen the rotation a little bit because Velasquez has been hit and miss and he's probably other five. So, um, but it's probably not their highest need as we just talked about. They need a catcher. They need a, an infielder they need at least one round fielder and they need a bullpen um so but yeah i mean on the other hand it fits his mode because stott he could probably part with without too much pain you know morales is a little farther away and um hazley's a fourth outfielder so it's not like he's giving up that much it's not not gonna be that painful from the pirates point of view they need to trade musgrove because he's their best trade chip and so they need to make sure they're smart about it and get the right return um, and they need everything, right? <laughs> Everybody's for sale on their major league team and they need, a, they still need to build their farm. So, you know, if you believe in Stott, um, you know, then that's a good sort of, um, sort of lead piece for the trade. Morales has some upside as a pitcher. Hazley, I'm not too crazy about, like I said, he's fourth outfielder. He mostly has 6 million in value just because he's got five years left on his contract. So it is control. So eh, they can probably do better, but it's not bad. 
yeah, I like it for the Pirates for sure. Um, I, I definitely agree with you there that they the Phillies need other position other positional help more than they need rotation help. But that Musgrove definitely doesn't hurt in any way. Um, the Pirates really need to be proactive. <laughs> it's it's horrible to see what they did with Josh Bell and how much opportunity they lost there. Yeah. They're essentially doing the same thing with Adam Frazier. His value has decreased. They're, they're just not capitalizing on their trade chips. They haven't really made any significant sell trades. They haven't offloaded any of their any of their veterans for any sort of value, and so they can't really rebuild. They're just relying on the draft and international signings solely, and that's not going to get them very far. Now, they do have the advantage that it doesn't seem like anybody in the NL Central is really trying right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But maybe that's also a disadvantage because those teams are going to be worse. It's harder to tank. It's harder to get a higher draft pick if you're playing four mediocre teams for most of your games. So the Pirates need to be proactive. I I agree with you that maybe this isn't the exact deal they need to make, but I think they do need to trade Musgrove sooner rather than later. Yeah, now's the time, yeah. You know, and, you know, maybe it's because, um, you know, their GM, Ben Charrington, has been on the job for about a year now. And so he wanted to get the lay of the land and kind of, like, figure out the, you know, what's in the system, what's my strategy, all that stuff. You know, so maybe he needed to kind of get his feet wet a bit before he made any big moves. Um, And while that was happening, obviously, you know, COVID-19 happened and threw a wrench in everybody's plans. So, you know, you, you could argue it's not his fault, right? But now he needs to act totally agree now is the time to move musgrove and anybody else he can move from the major league team because he's got to build that farm yeah definitely it's long overdue you can see a flash of something starting in pittsburgh with Brian hayes who looks Mm -hmm. incredible (laughs) you you have some other decent looking complimentary pieces there in a cole tucker kevin newman uh, some of these guys that are having kind of up and down starts to their careers but at least showing flashes of talent you gotta you gotta build a core around them though that's not going to be nearly enough and what they have left on the farm isn't nearly enough yeah so gotta make moves yep now's the time for them and i think we've we've discussed the phillies at length really um okay this is one avenue they could take but there's plenty of options available to them especially depending on what exactly they have available to them in terms of money That'll all depend on Dombrowski. Yep. So as usual, uh, if you have a trade submission for us, you want it to get discussed on the episode, on the show, please just submit it. And if people like it enough, if it gets enough attention, we'll see it, we'll like it, we'll talk about it. So go ahead and submit your trades whenever you feel. Uh, This episode has already run (laughs) pretty long. There's, like we mentioned, tons of news this this last couple weeks. We didn't even get to discuss Rule 5 at all. But maybe maybe we can save that for the next episode, depending on sure. how um, depending on how the rest of the offseason goes. We do want to get into uh, an article you wrote this last week. Uh, you discussed the market. And so this is something we've talked about on the last few podcast episodes, about this concern that the market was going to tank, that teams weren't going to spend any money because they had lower revenues in 2020 because of the pandemic, because of the shutdown, the shortened season, no fans in the stands. There was so much concern that free agents weren't going to get paid enough, that everyone was going to get non-tendered, that the whole market was going to sort of collude to suppress player salary for this season. We're not necessarily seeing that. Right. 
it's that's the surprise and that's my headline is it's kind of normal <laughs> yes uh, but it's not as bad as we thought you know we saw early sort of warning signs with the declines of the options of bad hand and colton wong and everyone's like oh my god those are good players nobody wants them so everyone's scared about that right including players uh, and then the non-tender thing was like oh my gosh it's gonna be a bloodbath and it actually was just fairly normal it was pretty rational i mean most i, I did the math the average non-tender had minus 0.6 you know we talked about this trade value so in other words teams were acting rationally what i really wanted to get to was is the rate going down is the dollar per war rate that we use is kind of an assumption and you know going up or down or, or what have you um and it seems to be staying about flat relative to last year which is our my assumption going into it was that it would be flat usually it goes up with the, right around the, the rate of inflation so historically inflation rises at about three percent it's obviously not rising too much now in this economy but so it, it it made sense to me to think okay let's just plug in flat as an assumption and see how it goes and right, right. now it's going just about right there you know it's basically dollars for war is staying pretty consistent if if uh, the free agent deals and the trade deals we're seeing are any any indication um so there are some variations though which i think are are not surprising you know a lot of high salaried players who play an abundant position like a corner dh guy like schwarber you know those guys are not you know or rosario you know those guys were non-tendered because they're making too much you can get a, a cheaper option if you want to corner DH guy. And then we talked about the DH rule not being in the NL as well, which plays into it. Um, relief pitchers are always abundant. We talked about the Angels blowing up their relief staff. So arguably Middleton, who just re-signed, had some value, as we could see, in Mariner stock. So so it's not like, um, you know, on the one hand, you were surprised. Like, yeah, maybe they had a little value. On the other hand, yeah, they're abundant. So you could probably build it differently. Um, and then we looked at I looked at the um, free agent market and sort of compared what our model says they should be worth and what they are getting and it's pretty much right on. There's small underpays here, small overpays there. The average when I wrote this article was uh, minus 0.2. I mean that's basically flat fair. In other right. words, it's it's going exactly as as a normal market would, you know, based on the assumption of dollars per war. So all things considered, it's not as bad as we thought. And even as we talked about McCann, that may even be a slight overpay uh, with the Mets having the most money in the market. Maybe that's not surprising. Um, but we're not seeing anything terribly crazy here. We're not seeing a bloodbath. It's not it's it's not the end of the world. So, yo, OK. Yeah. And we're even seeing some like you mentioned, some overpays, which mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's. I think if you told me two months ago that Adam Eaton was going to get $8 million guaranteed, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. If you told me two months ago that Carlos Santana was going to get $17.5 million guaranteed, I wouldn't believe you. Carlos yeah. Santana hit under 200 last year. Granted, batting average has never been his strength. It's not The team's recognized, finally, that that's not an important <laughs> measure of talent. He's an OBP power guy, but still, he had a subpar year for him by his own standards last year. And he signed for two years, $17.5 million. These guys... Granted, there's some there's some give and some take. Maybe I expect we expect a little more for Trevor May, um, but it's it's remarkable that how <laughs> like you mentioned how fair the market has acted this year. Um, as we mentioned a while back, the um, the market is still operated slowly compared to the normal off season that we're used to from I'd say before 2016, before 2017. Uh, the last few years, especially, the off seasons have gotten slower and slower. 
yeah. and this is pretty much in line with those last handful yeah where we're not seeing the big signings and, and a huge part of that there were no in-person uh winter meetings this year and it seems like the rangers were the only team who logged on for the virtual winter meeting so, <laughs> hey anybody want to play with us <laughs> yeah, yeah they were just sitting in an empty zoom call for three days straight uh, occasionally texting their friends in the other front offices hey you up you want to come on and talk <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> um but jokes aside it, that definitely contributes that teams aren't in person they're not they didn't get that chance to talk to each other, to see each other, to make those deals in the hotel together. Um, so that's part of why it's going slow. Part of why it's going slow is just that we've seen this trend of the larger players, the larger free agents waiting, uh, waiting for the right fit, waiting for the right uh, dollar amount for a team to meet their demands, um, and maybe teams waiting to give their full final offer until later in the off season when they have a better idea of the market of what's going on. So that's that's a whole other conversation. But I think in general, like you say, surprisingly, it's looked pretty normal. Yeah, I, what I do think there is a bit of a sort of a, you know, mouse moving through the body of the snake thing happening where, you know, it's all getting towards a push to the end there, especially with a lot of middle tier players. A lot of teams are waiting on bargains in January, February. You know, it's like, okay, who's left over? I mean, the Rangers, again, talked about the Rangers, they snapped up Dahl. But another sort of, other teams are waiting for, for players like that, that are sort of going to fall through the cracks that right. may be a little bit undervalued. Um, so, but I think it's also indicative that, you know, teams are still looking to move contracts. Um, you know, obviously the Reds moved. We talked about Renzel Iglesias. But they're moving contracts that can be moved. And, you know, anybody that's hugely underwater, I think, is stuck. And there's, there, you know, almost every team has one of the one or two of those. Um, so the ones that are sort of rumored, like we talked about Segura, like he's not that much underwater, so maybe he can be moved, you know, especially if they kick in cash. Arenado may be an exception. But those ones that are sort of movable, in other words, they still have some field value that can be of some service to a team if they just sort of work out the money. You know, I think we might see a couple more deals like that. But it's indicative of the market that, that's where the action is. Anybody with positive value, we, you know, we haven't talked about Sonny Gray being floated on the trade market or Blink Snell so much. Um, those guys, you know, cost a little bit, but they also have a huge amount of surplus. So, you know, they're shopping because the team can save salary, but they can also get a good return and they know they're movable, right? Um, right. So they're liquid if in a way. The illiquid stuff is not moving, especially the deeply underwater contracts. So, um so I don't think that's going to change. And so we might see a few deals like Eugene Segura, which is, you know, who's maybe, you know, movable because there's some field value there. Um, but I think, and maybe some bullpen guys, like we just saw Middleton getting uh, signed by the Mariners. So, you know, there's going to be stuff like that happening. But there's going to be a lot of activity, I think, in January and February. You know, both the big names, you know, like a Bauer or a, a Rio Muto who haven't signed yet or will eventually sign, but a whole bunch of middle guys who will, you know, hopefully be, you know, snatched up somewhere and probably on bargain. So my calculations right now are probably a little premature and a little too early. We might change the narrative a little bit more and as, the, as those things happen. So two months from now, we might find, yeah, maybe it was a little bit, uh, you know, um, you know, <clears throat> there is some undervalued stuff going on, but right now, not so much. Yeah, I want to I want to build on something that you said there. Uh, one point you made about kind of every team having one of those underwater guys. Mm -hmm. uh, it's you see a lot of a lot of fans of teams speculating. Okay, we got to get this guy off the books, and if we do, then we could sign this free agent and do this and this. Mm -hmm. It's that's so much easier said than done because, yeah. as you mentioned, I don't know if this is 
it, I, you're right. Almost almost every team has one of those underwater guys. I don't know if it's an anomaly. I don't know if this is the way it's always been, and now that we have the numbers in front of us, it's just more obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, almost every team has at least one of those guys. A lot of teams have two or three, and no team is out there looking to take that on right now. Yeah. Right now, the vast majority of the bad teams are also the cheap teams. Yep. Right? You got the Royals who don't spend much and they're deep into their rebuild. The Pirates aren't going to spend anything there in their rebuild. The Tigers are trying to get out of their rebuild. This probably isn't the time for them to be taking on a contract like that. The Rangers are getting creative. The Mariners are getting creative. But there's there's not one of those teams that you might have seen, like the Tigers from a few years ago, where it's, you can look at them and say, yeah, they have a big big budget. They're not going to be any good for a couple of years. Maybe they'll take this guy for a prospect. If, if we send a prospect along with him, maybe they'll take his contract. Mm-hmm. And so, especially when you factor in the financial questions with the pandemic and everything, it doesn't seem like it's going to be as active for the truly underwater players. Like you mentioned, Rysel Iglesias got moved. Uh, We had him just slightly underwater, making significant money, but also significant value still. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked about Gene Segura. Maybe that happens, but he's a little more underwater. In this article, you mentioned Rugnet Odor and Elvis Andrews. Those seem very unlikely to happen. Can't see, it's hard to imagine any team with interest in those guys, even if it's a swap for another underwater contract. Mm -hmm. Right. You look at the, a team like the A's with Steven Piscotty and Chris Davis. Mm-hmm. Nobody's excited, especially if there are only 15 DH spots in MLB next year. Nobody's excited to take Chris Davis right now. Yeah. And Piscotty, maybe you squint and find a match somewhere, but it's again, he's we have him at negative 12.7. It's going to be another kind of salary dump for salary dump deal. The A's don't have the strongest farm right now to end, yeah. or the flexibility in any fashion to be able to pay his contract up with prospects so like mm-hmm. when you just look at this kind of case by case around the league unless you're talking about some massive salary swap like we did earlier in this episode with Cano and Arenado which is we we explained very thoroughly very very unlikely there's so many roadblocks there it's so hard to see that actually happening unless you're talking about something like that I it's it's so hard in the current market to move one of these sunk cost contracts yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's and there's really only who's got money. The Mets have some, the Blue Jays have some. They didn't get they're in Canada. They didn't get hit as hard. Yeah. The pandemic. Yeah. Uh, the White Sox have a little bit, you know. But you know, so those are like the th- three in that sort of order. Um, mm-hmm. But we talked about the Mets being smart. They're not wasting money. Uh, the Blue Jays are a smart organization. You know, the White Sox. You know, they've already traded for land, and I'm not sure how much wiggle room they have, but I don't think it's even going crazy. Outside of that, you know, where are you going to move a contract to? And then you've mm-hmm. got the fact that there's still all these unsigned free agents who are acquiring big money. So there's only so much money to go around, and there's right. not, enough, not enough chairs in the musical chairs game. So. And you look at the you look at the <laughs> usual powerhouses, the Dodgers, they're, they're looking at some concerns the next couple of years with retaining guys when Bellinger and Seeger and these guys get closer to free agency they're gonna have to sign them same similar sort of deal with the yankees right. with aaron judge glaber right. torres luke right. Voigt. those guys are getting more expensive right. um they're neither of those teams are necessarily interested right now in bringing on a contract you look you see maybe the giants 
maybe they get creative, but we've we've also kind of thought that they might do that. And, and they have done that historically. They did that, uh, they picked up uh, Cozart. Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they took Cozart and uh, Wilson from the mm-hmm. Angels in that kind of right. similar format. So maybe they are a team, but you can't have 29 teams all saying, here, take my bad contract, please. <laughs> they can't take all 29 of them. <laughs> No, they can't. And also, the Giants are smart. You know, Farmer yeah. one of the smartest guys in the business. So he's not going to just, you know, take it to take it. He's going to well, what I get out of it. Would give me prospects, but people, but mm-hmm. teams don't want to give up prospects because those are the cheap players that yes. they need, right? <laughs> so, right. Like, they, you're suck, right? So, um, you know, unless, like I said, there's a, you know, moving a deck chairs on the Titanic. Like you take our contract, bad contract, and I'll take your bad contract for some you know player fit reason that's the only yeah. only way i can see it <clears throat> yeah team with team with five outfielders and one of them's underwater yeah. moves them to a team with two outfielders and they give them some playing time and see what happens in exchange for an infielder on the with the crowded infield i don't know yeah something it, like that yeah and and you know the dodgers made the trade a couple of years ago with the braves with matt kemp and and, and, and you know <clears throat> um alex wood and you know it was a whole bunch of pieces going mm-hmm. back and forth a lot of money it was, it was all for the money right it was all about okay i'll take you got two years on the books for that guy and i've got one year on the book for that guy you know um so so they worked out and that was to get under the luxury tax now this is another issue like teams like the yankees are now saying that they're not going to spend a whole lot they're trying to get lemayhew but other than that they're saying there's not much left we can do they're trying to stay under the luxury tax because you know with the uncertainty of the pandemic and the economics in 2021 it makes perfect sense for them to kind of pull back a bit so you know even they're not spending so where are you gonna go it's like and there's everybody's calling you know sandy alderson and their new gm who by the way we haven't even talked about yet um, <laughs> right but everyone's calling the mets right can you please take my guy and, you know so there's uh, you know they've, they're having a field day making choices and they're but they're being smart about it so anyway right. these these bad contracts are not moving it's 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 enough to just find places for the free agents so money is still an issue and i think you know as we look at the market we might find that it changes a bit because of that in the next month or two yeah maybe maybe the reason we're seeing things look normal right now is because teams are getting some of their first choices and as things kind of whittle down as budgets fill up maybe the guys who wait longer are going to end up kind of screwed and even more below market kind of along the lines of what we expected to begin with so maybe it's too early to definitively say hey the market's fine right agreed all right i think uh oh i I, (laughs) just to mention jared porter that's the uh that's the yes. new general manager uh former diamondbacks executive very well respected within the game yes seems seems like a strong fit there between him and alderson they obviously they couldn't get the true number one first in command type they were looking for where that would have allowed alderson to take kind of a back seat but this seems like the next best thing you get a smart up-and-coming guy that everyone's kind of tabbed as the next great gm take him under your wing if you're sandy alderson and you have all this experience you work together make something happen with the with the seemingly endless pockets of steve cohen yeah yeah good luck to them that's a great move congratulations definitely to they're too. yes definitely and they're they're really carrying this off season I, I don't know what this off season would look like if not for that cohen change yeah right. i don't know what the free agent market would look like so maybe that's a consideration as well um that in a in a normal year if, if the Wilpons were still there, maybe we are talking about how awful things look, how nobody's buzzing about any of the top free agents, how it doesn't look like they're going to sign for what they deserve. 
but you add one true spender to the mix and it kind of fixes things. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's often that's the way it works in, you know, the stock market too. You get a buyer and suddenly markets start to move. So it's similar. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, this has been one hell of an episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, thank you all so much for sticking with us through if this. If you're still you did, with us. Yes, if you did make it to the end. <laughs> I, I I would not be offended if you had to break this up into a couple pieces. It's It's been a lot of talk, a lot of news, a lot of exciting things to ponder, to analyze. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so, so that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening, for surviving this hour and a half. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevalues at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Baseball Values. We'll be back in a couple weeks to break down whatever the next big news is, likely uh, get into some of the Rule 5 updates. So until then, stay safe and enjoy the offseason. Thanks, John. Thanks, Josh.